All right, I'm just going to pray quickly. Um, Let's set our hearts in the right direction as we come into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for, again, for who you are, Lord. We thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, We thank you that you're a great and almighty God and that you sent your son Jesus to come and uh, take the weight of our sins and um, Lord, that, and that you journey with us in every day uh, that we walk. I just pray that, um, yeah, what you have to say this morning would come through my words, Lord, and um, that it would be honouring to who you are. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Tim, uh, very, he uh, read some verses earlier very well. Um, I'm just going to flick through quickly. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dwell here this morning. I think um, these verses. If you've been in church for a while, verses you've heard, um, and it's pretty. James uh, doesn't hold the pun- hold back the punches. Uh, he just kind of says it how it is and um, talks about um, what faith should look like, and that it's not a faith that is passive, but one uh, that is accompanied with action. Um, and what I really want to talk about this morning, um, and may, I, I was going to say too, James is like a very short book of the Bible. So uh, you young people, no excuses. Um, but I would encourage you, no, I'd really encourage you to just read through. Um, there's five, five chapters in James, and they're not very long. Um, and James really just kind of throws out um, a lot of practical stuff um, for us as we live our lives uh, for Christ. And um, I'd encourage you definitely, even during this week, to to take a look at that and be challenged by what he says. Um, but where I'm really going to land today is actually talk about um, the person of James. Um, and back on that first slide, I'm really bad at slides. I put them up because I know some people, it's helpful to have it up there, but I'm really bad at keeping up with it. So hopefully Heather will keep on top of that. Um, so underneath faith it says we are a church that moves in faith more than by sight and if you've been with us for uh, the last month or so I think or even longer than that we've been talking a bit about um, as Crane Baptist Church what are our values what do we value um, what do we want to what are the things that we want to see increase in our community Um, Fred talked a little bit about uh, being an authentic community last week and um, Les has tackled what it means for us to be a Bible-believing church as well um, and there's been a few in the middle there. They're the ones that I remember off the top of my head right now. Um, but I just get to talk a little bit about what it means to be people and a church who move in faith more than by sight. And there's a verse in the Bible in 2 Corinthians uh, 5 verse 7 says, For we live by faith and not by sight. And if you pull up those verses, um, I do have them on the screen. Thank you, Heather. Um, the verses around that are really interesting because you can just look at that single verse by itself and go, right, done, you know, live by faith, not by sight. Um, kind of when you think about it, you go, right, it's not about what I can see around me, it's what about what God's doing inside me. And I, I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 1 to 9 it says for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven not built by heaven hands meanwhile we groan longing to be clothed instead uh, with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed we will 
not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Uh, Now the one who has uh, fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit guarantee for what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home or in the body. There's a lot of words there about the home and the body. But what it's really talking about is that we need to have this heaven perspective um, as we live in the tent, the body that God has given us now. We have to live our lives, and that's what faith is about. We can't always see, we can't see God. Um, we, can't, we can often see the movement of God in our lives and in the circumstances of our lives, but we can't often physically see him. And this is what um, Paul is actually talking about in these verses is that um, we live a life here even though we kind of wish we weren't here sometimes. Uh, we wish we were with God, but we're here. So what do we do while we're here? We live by faith and we not by sight because we live with a heavenly uh, perspective. Um, and I don't know about you, but um, it's kind of hard sometimes uh, when you look around and it's easy to be distracted by the things that are going on in life, the things that are happening around us. It's easy for us to be caught up uh, in the things that are going on directly in front of us and to forget about this this heavenly perspective that we're always supposed to hold as we live uh, here on earth. And my main point, I, I only have one point today, um, so it's a good, good sermon. Um, faith is about identity. Walking by faith comes from being radically transformed by the work of Jesus. Have you ever been told to just have more faith? Have you ever been told that? I have a few times, you know, when you're kind of down in the dumps a bit and um, someone very well-meaning comes and says, just have some more faith. And it, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it frustrates me a little bit because I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to just get the more faith that I need right now because I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Um, but those moments for me are often then a heart check on myself to go, well, I do need more faith, right? I can't get it right now in this moment, but am I living out of the identity that Christ has given me? So have more faith, and it kind of makes me check myself a little bit to go, all right, I've lost sight of something here. I've lost sight of what my focus is. Am I living out of the identity that I know Christ gives me or have I slipped back into old patterns of thinking uh, and operating, which is very easy to do? We have to believe in the identity Christ gives us in order to have a faith that works itself out in every circumstance of life. If we fully believe in the person of Christ and what he has done, the way that we approach every day and every moment will change. But we have to remind ourselves 
It's like when um, before Jesus died on the cross, he's like, you're going to have to do this communion thing to remind yourself of the sacrifice that I gave to give you the identity that, um, that I want for you. We have to remind ourselves. We have to be in that state of remembering all the time um, because it's easy for us to coast and you know, go through the motions of life. I don't know if you've ever been there. I go there sometimes and have to bring myself back. Um, but true faith, faith that is built on the identity that Christ gives us, will work itself out in every circumstance. In joy and in sorrow, it will work itself out in every circumstance as long as we are set on the identity that Christ gives us. We have to continually put off the old and live in the new identity that Christ gives us. So um, now I'm going to talk about James. So does anybody know, well, I just ruined it, but who wrote the book of James? Oh, good, you're awake. Who was it? John? God. God was involved 100%. Good answer, Gary. It's kind of in the title. Who wrote it? James? Was it James? I think it might have been. Does anybody know which James it was? Because in, back in the Bible times, lots of these people had the same name. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a few Elishas around, but not, probably not as many as there were Jameses back in the day. There were a lot of Peters and Johns and Jameses, and you kind of have to figure out which one we're talking about. Um, does anyone know who it was? Yes. Jesus' brother. That is the correct answer. Well done. So James, the guy who wrote uh, this book, um, the verses that we read earlier, is the brother of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, um, I don't think about Jesus having a family um, or having brothers and sisters. Um, and I wonder sometimes what that might have looked like for them around a dinner table. Can you imagine being the brother or sister of Jesus and just sitting around the dinner table with him? We have no, there's nothing in the Bible, right, a few laughs as we think about it. There's nothing really in the Bible that um, helps us to understand what that might have been like, but we can kind of use our imagination to go, well, what does family look like for me? What does having a brother look like for me? I have four brothers. Um, don't I? Yeah, four brothers. Um, <laughs> And uh, they are all very different. Uh, they all push my buttons in different ways. One of them turns up at my house and lets the dog in um, and runs around the house chasing my dog to get it outside again. And then, and then he's gone. He's there and he's gone, right? Um, he comes in a loud bang and then he goes again. Um, another one's a little bit quieter. And uh, tells some funny jokes if you listen really closely. It's kind of got some very good jokes going on. Um, and the other two are a bit louder in their jokes. Um, they uh, don't like to hug me, but that's okay. I know we struggle with hugs and intimacy, but that's okay. They're my brothers. I love them. Um, you know, side hugs all we get. Um, but I have brothers, I have a sister, I grew up in a family and um, I could tell you so many stories about what it was like 
um, sitting around a dinner table. And some of them I won't share here. Um, but it's funny because, like, a lot of what I remember is, <laughs> is like, one of, one of it, like, it was like a, um, it was like a relay for the toilet at dinner time. It was like, sit down for dinner. I need to go to the toilet. And one of us gets up and goes. And then they come back and we're just eating. It's like, the next one's like, I need to go to the toilet. And we were very nice children, of course, and we asked our parents' permission to leave the table, always. Um, and we always sat there and ate our dinner. I'm looking at my mum because she's laughing. Um, we always sat there and ate all of our dinner, and it only took 20 minutes, not two hours, uh, to eat all our dinner. Um, and we always got dessert because we always ate our, you know, all of our dinner. Never. Um, the funny thing is we kind of knew that if we let it go on long enough, they'd kind of give in and be like, we just want you to go to bed, so please just eat your dessert and go to bed. Um, anyway, you get the picture I'm trying to paint here, that Jesus was a part of a family and he had a brother, or he had more than one brother, but he had some brothers. Um, Ali and I were trying to, we thought it'd be funny if they were all J names, but they're not, Simon ruined it in Jesus' family. Um <clears throat> The others are all J names, though. They must, he must have been the extra one that they couldn't think of a J name, maybe. I'm just, that's not in the Bible. Don't quote that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just waffling on now. I need to get back to my notes. All right. Um, but you get the picture. I wanted to paint a bit of a picture of what, it, what it's like at your house. As, as I'm telling you what it was like for me growing up, you get a picture in your own head about what it might have been like to grow up in a family. Um, And it's interesting because you kind of think, well, if I had grown up with Jesus and this guy who, as he grew up, started to become this person who knew a lot about who God was and was really dedicated to studying the scriptures and kind of started to be this person who was really focused on something, um, I, w- I would like to think that if Jesus was in my family, I'd be like, yeah, I got it. I've, I know what you're on about. I'm with you. I'm following you. Um, and maybe not much to our surprise, um, it wasn't really like that. I'm just going to jump through. There's um, three uh, different verses I'm just going to read, little stories uh, where we kind of, we don't hear a lot about Jesus' family, but these ones, they kind of pop up in like one little verse. Uh, so I don't have them on the screen, but if you want to write them down to look at later, uh, you're most welcome. But just to give us an idea about um, what we're talking about. So Matthew 13, sorry, verse 53 to 58. All right. When Jesus had finished these parables, so Jesus has started his ministry, uh, we're in Matthew, started his ministry, he's been going around um, sharing uh, with people, talking about who, what the kingdom of God is like. Um, and when he had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. Interesting. He began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed Where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the guy who can, like, make really good furniture? 
Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? When then did this man get all these things that he's talking about? When did he get all these things? And this is the little bit I want you to take note of, verse 57. And they took offence at him. We're not sure who we're talking about in the they, but um, it doesn't specifically say just the people in the synagogue took offence at him. Because I imagine that probably his family was there. Because if this guy who had been teaching all about the scriptures is making a bit of a noise, comes back to his hometown, I'm pretty sure his family is going to be there. They took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do any many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Interesting. Second story, Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Again, further on in his ministry. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that uh, he and his disciples uh, were not even able to eat. So there's so many people in that house that they couldn't even get any food. They couldn't sit down for a meal. When his family, when Jesus' family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. Interesting. So they, he comes to hang out in this house. There's so many people there they want to know. And his family hears about it. And they're like, hang on a sec. Sorry, guys. Not, not sure what he's talking about. We're, we're so sorry. He just kind of escaped. We have to take him home and get him out of here because we're not really sure what he's talking about. You get the picture I'm painting. I don't think James was convinced of who Jesus was. I don't think many of his family were convinced. Next story. John 7, starting at verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe him. So I can imagine that dialogue, because you can kind of read that dialogue as like, yeah, go, go and do it. No, you should do it, you know. Um, But I think there might have been a bit of sarcasm going on there. Um, Leave Galilee, go to Judea, go on. Yeah, you'll be accepted, you know. That's what people uh, who want to be public figures do. They go and they be, you know. Um, But in their hearts, they didn't believe. They're kind of making a mockery of who he was. James was not a fan, I don't think, Um, to have a brother that was kind of going around quite publicly already, um, making a lot of statements that maybe he didn't quite agree with from his growing up and didn't quite understand just yet. And at this point in the story, he really didn't understand. So how do we get a guy who 
was telling everyone his brother Jesus is out of his mind and didn't believe what he was saying to a guy who writes, is used by God to write a book in the Bible about faith and what that looks like. How do we get there? So where is the shift? Because um, it also says in Galatians 2 verse 9 that James is described as one of the pillars of the New Testament church. He not only wrote this book in the Bible that we find, but he was described in Galatians 2 as a pillar of the church. So at some point in this story, he went from being someone who was not convinced of who Jesus was to someone who completely changed their life and direction of their life to live for, live for Jesus. And um, if we go to James chapter 1, just a little bit back from where we read right at the start about faith, if you go to James chapter 1, the very first verse, James introduces himself um, as James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think if I was a sibling of Jesus, and I got to write a book in the Bible, I might say, hey, it's me, I'm related, um, you know, I'm, I'm all up in it, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm a part of this family, you know, kind of um, humanness in us, our pride. Um, I would say that, you know, but for James at this point, he's like, nah, I know who Jesus is. Yeah, I grew up in a house with him. I sat around a dinner table with him. I played with him as a kid. I probably followed him around sometimes when we were younger. Um, but um, now I know who Jesus is. I know why he came. And I know that I am now, my identity is not James, the brother of Jesus. My identity, my true identity is James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so the story that we find that shows us a little bit maybe the moment that things changed for James um, is in 1 Corinthians 15. It's uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians and he's talking about um, just after, he's explaining a little bit about what happened just after Jesus uh, was resurrected and Jesus hung out for a little while on earth again before he left again. And there's some people that he went to see in that time, people that Jesus went to see. For what I received I passed on to you as uh, of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were living, still living, at the time that Paul wrote this letter. They were still living at that point, um, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul, as one of one abnormally born. I wonder what, after... Jesus had gone, you know, his brothers being like, yeah, go, go to Judea, go and pronounce who you are, be, um, be bold in what you're saying, um, kind of doubting who he actually was. For James, his, his brother gets crucified, dies, 
is raised to life and then comes to see him with scars on his hand. I wonder always, I wonder what that moment would have been like for James. Because I think we've all had a similar moment if we are uh, born again Christians where we are faced with the reality of what Jesus did on the cross for us. We're faced with that reality and something is changed in us and we are given a new identity. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I think in that moment, that's what happened for James. James got the moment. He got a moment where he had to choose to make Jesus the Lord of his life. We all come with baggage. James came with baggage, probably sibling drama. Paul, who wrote a large part of the New Testament, had a lot of baggage. Uh, Jesus wants you and I to lay down the baggage and just let him sort through it with you because it's not a one-time thing, you know, transformation. It's not a one-time thing. It's not. James, yeah, he had this moment where he, he got it. It's the aha moment, I like to call it. Aha. Aha. He got it in that moment. But he continued to change, to transform. He went from scoffer to servant. What Jesus did on the cross changes everything for us. So I wonder this morning, maybe we need to do a heart check for ourselves. Did someone ask you recently if you have enough faith about that situation? Maybe we need to think about, am I focused on the identity that Christ gave to me? As we grow in relationship with God, so too our faith grows. Our faith becomes visible to others then as we do. I was just chatting to Dennis on Friday night about life and life with Jesus and him as a farmer, just what that looks like for him. And we talked a bit about how we actually have to choose every day to grow our relationship with God. Um, And as we seek to do that, we find that we have a closeness and intimacy with God that then helps direct our lives. And we can't get that just in a moment. Have more faith. Okay, I'll go and grab it. Just, just a sec, I'll go inside and grab it. We have to spend and dedicate our lives to growing closer to who God is. Radical transformation through Jesus, while often the radical part happens in a moment, the transformation part happens every day. Our identity in Christ remains solid and unchanged, but our faith is tested and grown through the joys and trials of life because we are being transformed every day. The goal is not um, to just be here on a Sunday and be in programs. The goal is for us to have an encounter with Jesus Christ so that we go from being a scoffer of who he is to being a servant of who he is. There is a big difference, and I know for me I thought a lot about this, like James grew up religious like he knew the stuff he knew the answers he knew the routine of religious life he grew up with Jesus in his life right he sat at his table for dinner he was out playing in the streets as a kid with him they probably slept in the same room at some point but 
I think what I'm getting at right now for me, as I thought about as someone who's grown up Christian, sometimes we can um, put on the Christian costume because we know the things that we need to know, uh, but we haven't um, maybe been reminded of the radical transformation that Jesus is doing in our lives. <clears throat> it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know that, most of us, I'm sure know that verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me. So we continue because that's often where we stop. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. God wants us to seek him. And it says that if we do, we'll find him and that he has great plans for our lives. He desires to have a relationship with you and I, one that is growing, flourishing, one that increases in faith every day, a faith that is visible in the joys and the sorrows, a faith that trusts in hopeful plans that God has laid out for us, even if we can't see them with our human eyesight. I believe as we seek him more and more that we will become more and more in tune with where he's leading us. We will become a people who can't always see what's up ahead in the physical, but through faith we sense a leading of the spirit which propels us into action. Even when we can't really see, like, why do I feel like I need to do this? I don't understand, God. Like, why do I feel like I need to make this step right now? I don't quite see what you're doing, but I sense it because my relationship with you is growing. At the very, the very last verse of um, the section that Tim read uh, in chapter 2, verse 26, it says, As the body without the spirit is dead, faith without deeds is dead. Our identity in Christ is what propels our faith to grow. When we are convinced of who Jesus is and what he's done, we will do everything we can to share it with others. And just as we finish... If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know, if you don't yet have a personal relationship with him, my prayer today is that you would just suss him out. You would seek him because it says that you'll find him if you seek him. He is the only one out there that can offer you forgiveness and a brand new identity. He wants to free you from your shame and give you eternal life so that you can bring glory to who he is and be in relationship with him forever. And maybe for the rest of us this morning, I want to encourage you to do a heart check. Maybe there are things that need to be realigned back to what God wants for your life. Maybe you've kind of gone off the track a little bit and God's just pulling you back. Remember your identity. Remember what I did for you. Just come back. Maybe God is prompting you to let your faith in him move you into action in your life. Maybe he's asking you to use what he's given you what he's put inside you to reach people around us. Or maybe you've just been wearing the good Christian costume for a long time and God is wanting you to be real about where you are with him. Let his grace and sacrifice radically move you in your relationship with him. Seek him, honour him, love him and seek his will for every moment in your life. I'm just going to pray. Lord, I just thank you again for who you are. 
thank you that um, you had the foresight to know that we needed you, that we needed Jesus to come uh, and to die on a cross and be raised again uh, so that we didn't have to live in the depths of our shame, Lord, that you would take that on. I thank you uh, that you not only do that in a moment for us, that you radically change our lives, Lord, um, but that we are, that you're with us every single day, Lord, that you're with us in every moment, every heartache, every joy, Lord. I thank you that you understand those things, that you were, you were 100% human and that you experienced a lot of life that we experienced, Lord, and that, um, that you can empathise with the things that we go, go through, Lord, and that we're not alone in those things. I pray that you would comfort us as we need comfort, give us peace as we need peace, Lord, but that you would um, help us as a community to be people who move in faith because we know who we are. We're convinced of who we are through you, Lord, and that um, we would be a church and a people uh, who are propelled into action, uh, into sharing the gospel with the people around us, Lord. I pray for revival in our community, Lord. I pray that... um, the next few hours that we spend down at the park, Lord, would be a time where we we get to reach out to maybe some people that don't know who you are and that we can show love to them uh, and just encourage them in their lives, Lord. I just thank you again for um, this time together. Uh, thank you for all you're doing in each of our lives, Lord, uh, and I pray your blessing over the rest of today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now my worship leaders have gone because they're helping uh, run the family day down at the park, um, which starts at 12.30 in about half an hour. But if you want to hang out and have a cuppa with us, uh, definitely do that and um, spend some time together. And then when I think lunch is from like 12.30 to 1.30, so you've got plenty of time to wander down there, get some lunch and enjoy the time that um, they've got on for us. So um, bless you. Have a great week uh, and thanks for being here.